Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. Win, totals, keep rolling. That's Barton Simmons. I'm Chip Patterson. Barton, um, you know, I I guess I owe you an apology that I did not give you the live win totals jingle. And I'm not going to play it for you now, but when it's time... Uh, we will be counting them up. I, I had to put it in in post production. I'm I'm sorry that I deprived you of that joy. I mean, because I'm on this side of the table and I'm not. I don't listen to every show start to finish. Sometimes I forget how intoxicating that jingle is. And fortunately, you know, the fans, the the our our, our cover three brethren have been hitting me up, being like, "When's the jingle coming?" You know, count them up, and so that's that has. There's been high anticipation in the Simmons household for the first jingle of the year, and I'm glad to get it uh, Tuesday. All right, so we did on that Tuesday show. We did the Pac-12 North. You know, running through uh, where, where we at with Washington, Oregon, Washington State, um, and now we turn our attention to the Pac-12 South. But first, a little bit of news uh, from UCF. I thought that Barton, one of the not necessarily uh, tightest or headline quarterback battles of the fall, but one that was uh, both intriguing and also potentially impactful because of where UCF stands among the AAC and among the group of five. You know, we had uh, Daryl Mack Jr., DJ, as they call him. He took over for Mackenzie Milton after that horrific leg injury. He does a good job guiding him to a win against USF. Leads them to a win against Memphis in the AAC title game. And look, in that they, they did lose to LSU. 745-day streak of no losses comes to an end. Daryl Mack was the quarterback for that. But, I mean, they lose that game by just eight points, and that was a doggone good LSU team. So I thought Daryl Mack had a good shot at that. He was going to be competing against Notre Dame transfer Brandon Wimbush, who, of course, left the Irish after Ian Book beat him out for that QB1 job. So it was going to be Daryl Mack, Brandon Wimbush, Barton, UCF announces that a broken ankle in a non-football, uh, non-football activity has knocked Mac out at least for training camp. Uh, no timetable set for his return. You know, sign, signs point to this means Brandon Wimbush is up. Had had you sort of set your expectations um, for the UCF offense based on one quarterback or the other? I had I had probably set my expectations on UCF with Brandon Wimbush under center, but I think that probably was a um, I, I don't know. I think that maybe misguided. Like I think Dario Mack was probably had a pretty good shot at this thing, and and Brandon Wimbush is still I think to this point in his career probably still living on the perception of him as a highly regarded recruit mm-hmm. and living and and living on those big throws where. Uh, people can, you know, put a big circle on the teleprompter and say, look at his arm. Um, and the reality is what we've seen out of Brandon Wimbush on the field has been really underwhelming. And so, uh, I, I you know, I, I don't know that I thought that when Brandon Wimbush transferred to UCF that that was somehow going to propel them to another undefeated season. Um, but I guess I did kind of assume he'd be the starter – and I don't know that that was necessarily the, the proper assumption because, like, the kid is uh, – he, he's got a lot to prove. I 100% agree. I actually kind of thought that Mac might be winning that job just because I thought that he he stepped in and he looked fluid and uh, looked comfortable in that offense. And with what we've seen with the, the Brandon Wimbush uh, path where you are a highly touted prospect – you land at a big program, um, you know, maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't. I mean, he was the starting quarterback for a 10-win Notre Dame team. Like, that in itself should be considered some amount of success, but at the same time, in that 10-win season, he was like a 58% passer, a lot of mistakes, there were some limitations. And so now with UCF being forced to sort of turn to Wimbush, and again, I'm sure Josh Heupel's going to say it's an open competition, yada, yada, yada. But if Wimbush takes over for UCF, and if he is able to find success, I I pause 
to, and this was, uh, this is one of those things where, you know, I'll be curious to find out about it later in the season, but I wonder if that's going to say more about what Wimbush has done to improve his game, or if that's going to say more about Josh Heupel and that UCF coaching staff, which to be honest, like I dropped my expectations in a big way when Scott Frost left and Heupel was hired. And through year one, I've had a couple of examples to make me believe that maybe I was on the wrong side of Heupel. Maybe he's grown a lot since his time as an offensive coordinator. Um, You know, maybe uh, this is the right spot for him. He inherited the, the good personnel. You got all the skill position players around there. If Wimbush is able to have the kind of success that Daryl Mack had in relief of McKenzie Milton, I think that that's going to say a lot about Heupel and UCF fans should feel confident about him continuing to guide that offense and that program moving forward. Absolutely. Heupel is probably, well, time will tell. Um, this year, I mean, this year will tell it. If if they, if UCF has another really good year and if Brandon Wimbush is a really good quarterback, then Josh Heupel will have been by far the most underappreciated coach in college football in the 2018 season because everyone just assumed, hey, this is just remnant Scott Frost. Right. And and Josh Heupel is, isn't like this really media uh, – he's not a media darling. He doesn't he, – you know, he's not um, out there in front of the cameras in, in the same way that Scott Frost is. He's, he's just – I don't know. And he's, he was a pretty good player himself, but he was, he was like that as a player too. He was like this, how's this guy doing it kind of guy. Um, and, and I think if, if they have another really big year and if they do it with Brandon Wimbush after Brandon Wimbush was essentially, I mean, a, a disappointment at Notre Dame, um, then that really speaks to his ability to develop the quarterback position and and probably more specifically the ability to put a quarterback in a position to be successful. And that wasn't something that Notre Dame was able to figure out with Brandon Wimbush. And, and I'll say this too about Brandon Wimbush. He's, I mean, he gets a bit of a, a bad rap. I'm giving him a bad rap right now, but I mean, that guy is universally respected in that Notre Dame locker room. Like mm. they, he, he, like there is a ton of appreciation for what he represented. I mean, Brian Kelly said it when he transferred, like he, Brian Kelly was as, as effusive in his praise of Brandon Wimbush as, as any coach is going to be about a transfer quarterback. So I think everybody's rooting for a Brandon Wimbush revival here. Uh, and I think it says a lot. I think that's a great point. I think it says a lot about Josh Heupel. If a Brandon Wimbush led UCF team is once again, knocking on a undefeated season's door. A little bit of a conversation topic as we're looking ahead to uh, SEC Media Days starting on Monday. The ACC Media Days starts on Wednesday. Big 10 and Big 12 somewhere in the mix as well. Going to be a little bit of a flurry next week. Um, Looking at, and I I hope this is not too inside media, and uh, I think that this is where I'm going to ask both of us to try to wear our hats as, you know, college football analysts, members of the media, but also as college football fans and try to understand both sides of this because on the ACC side, when they released their uh, list of student athlete representatives, there was no Trevor Lawrence, there was no Travis Etienne. Um, you know, you've got a, a lot of the star players from the the Clemson contingent. Now, granted, like Florida State's bringing Tamari Terry and, and Marvin Wilson. Like those are probably the two best players on that Florida State team right now. So sure, like Florida State's doing what you would expect, but because Florida State doesn't have that headline billing that Clemson does, it it caused a reaction where the people were looking at the ACC list of stars and saying like, man, you know, where's the star power there? Why aren't they bringing their best players. Then in the SEC release its list of student athlete representatives, and it is all the stars. It's everyone that you would want to talk to. And I I ask you, Barton, does that matter whether or not these schools are choosing to uh, use that as the play? Because the coaches are going to come either way, as we know. But like, does it matter what players they're bringing to these media opportunities? Chip, are you not familiar with the slogan? It just means more. SEC, <laughs> like that's the. I mean the it, the SEC Media Day is just. I mean it. It is a bigger event than than any other media day by a long shot. The Pac-12 one a, appears to just be like a couple hours one afternoon. Everyone gets in a conference room together and and uh, you know asks a couple questions and bounces. I've never been to it, but. 
as far as I can tell, that like there's really nothing to the Pac-12 media day. It's done in like three hours. Uh, the the Big Ten media day is. I, I was at it last year, and it was two days of no, maybe it was, was it two days? Two days. I can't remember. One or two days of uh, just coaches running through, and I mean they 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 make a they make a show of it, but it's. It's pretty manageable. I mean, the SEC is like it's like press row at the Super Bowl or something, and there's crazy SEC fans walking around in costumes, and there's, um, I mean, there's this huge auditorium where reporters are asking the coaches these questions, and it's just sort of a, I mean, it's just an event, and. Uh, like any good event, need a couple stars at it, and the SEC embraces that. And so I don't know that it's any advantage or disadvantage elsewhere, but it does – well, I guess I'll say that. I mean, yeah, I guess that's – I mean, it is an advantage. I think I think having that sort of a – just a show and that sort of an event and that sort of a, a – a, um, uh, you know, for, for that to attract the kind of attention it attracts, I think it, it's – benefits the conference does it not it it does but i i think that the reason why it's a story this uh this year is because the acc is a little bit limited on recognizable names um you know last year ryan finley and daniel jones were there and you were talking about ryan and finley and daniel jones like this is you know these are two quarterbacks that are going to be you know top nfl guys next year when you know, when Deshaun Watson showed up after being a Heisman Trophy finalist, he was he caused a buzz when he was walking through ACC Media Days. Lamar Jackson came to two ACC Media Days, both before and after winning the Heisman Trophy. Um, you know, like I, I think that what we have is just a a turnover or a transition year where the ACC just doesn't have on an individual level recognizable names at this point. Now that doesn't mean that, you know, after the opening game of the year week zero, we're not like, Oh, Oh yeah, that's right. Shaq Quarterman is like a really nasty linebacker and Shaq Quarterman, by the way, will be there, but it's just that Shaq Quarterman, while he's a very good player, you know, he's just not, um, he's not at that all American watch list, you know, resonating throughout all of college football quite in a way like the SEC, which I think still has just a, a little bit more name recognition. It's almost like in the cycles of cycling in and cycling out, this just happens to be a year that stands out more than anything else outside of like Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne, you know, Justin Ross, like, uh, you, you know, maybe you want to go T Higgins, but I mean, Xavier Thomas, I, it, you start to get pretty quickly down down the line before even at Clemson, I think that there's a lot more names that need to be known. So it's, you know, uh, I, I, my challenge was like, yeah, you're right. The sec has more star power. The sec does have more star power right now. And so now that's kind of the, the challenge or the onus on, on those ACC players and those ACC teams to start making some noise nationally. I mean, Bryce Perkins and Bryce Hall uh, are both going to be there with UVA. Are they, they're too, of UVA's best players, Bryce Hall's probably like a all-American caliber safety, but it's just not resonating quite like uh, you might for some of these SEC stars. Well, in a way, like the, the ACC specifically is in a in a weird spot right now, where it's either time for Virginia or NC State or yeah, maybe even Virginia Tech or someone to seize that spots on the pecking order um where hey emerge go get it become the 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 foil to clemson become the other team in the conference become the other teams in the conference that are elite national teams or it's time for miami or florida state to 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 step up and be what they've always been so either we're going to have a changing of the guard or we're going to have a reemergence. but we're in a we're, we're currently sort of in the process of that happening, and I don't know where it's gonna where it's gonna land. Like, does if Virginia goes and wins the ACC this year, or wins the uh, the Coastal this year, is uh, you know do they sh- do they show up next year with a little more buzz surrounding whoever they're trotting out there? I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe they just never will. But um, 
but maybe so. So it, it, it'll be this. This will be, I think, an important year in the ACC. No more important than for the sophomore from Cedar Grove, New Jersey, quarterback Tommy DeVito. <laughs> hey man, maybe Tommy DeVito. Listen, is- that's Dino. That's Dino bringing the star. That's that's yep. what I, I love, Dino. Like some of these other coaches, are like, no, nah, we want to bring seniors. Like we want to bring our leaders. We want to bring the the guys that are going to be good with the media. Nah, nah, nah. Dino Babers knows what's up. He's bringing you the next trigger man in his offense, Tommy DeVito, sophomore from Cedar Grove. He's, yeah, he's got to make. He's going to make him. He's got to make him a star. He's not a star yet. He's going to go in there and just and just you know, hey, this is my next guy. Open your eyes. That's going to be Syracuse football. Um, w- introduce yourself, Tommy. Introduce yourself to the folks. If uh, if he's left alone, uh, untethered at some point, I might see if I can get a cover three exclusive with Tommy DeVito. He might be my favorite player in college football this year. All right, that's well, it. The, the the cover three. There, there's a. Um, a real cover three initiative that we've yet to accomplish yet, which is getting the Dino Babers drop played in front of Dino Babers. So uh, maybe you can work on that in the in the media day. I can. Uh, coming up on the other side, we're getting into it. That's right. More Pac-12 win totals. The South Division, next. Majors down and one to go in 2020. Bryson DeChambeau overpowered his peers at the U.S. Open. Can he carry that into November for a fall edition of the Masters? We're chatting about that and more on the First Cut Golf Podcast, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. We're in your feed week in and week out with tournament previews, picks, interviews, news, and analysis. Join Mark Immelman, Kyle Porter, Greg Ducharme, and myself, Rick Gaiman, as we give you daily fantasy plays, winning bets, and the hottest takes about Bryson, Phil, and Tiger. So what are you waiting for? Come join our group and let's talk golf. Download and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, YouTube, or anywhere else podcasts are found. There's nothing on earth quite like this the uefa champions league is back at its new home on cbs all access stream every match of the world's most prestigious tournament live that's incredible the uefa champions league group stage kicks off tuesday on cbs all access there's nothing like it all right barton are your your volume up i'm ready i'm ready as much as I think it's the, the under is a safe up. play, like I can't even. Count them up. Count them up. How many games are gonna win this fall? I can't fathom who wins. How many games are gonna win this fall? I just can't. I don't see it. It's not, it's not on there. It's not, not the schedule I'm looking at. Unless there's another schedule somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> it feels good. You know, I was a little groggy, Chip. I was a little groggy up in, in the front end. Got that in my veins, though, now, and I'm ready for some win totals, brother. I cackled on Tuesday as I was, like, cutting it up because, I I mean, I've li- I, by the end of uh, August, I will, have, I will have listened to that a good bit, but it, unless there's another schedule somewhere, slays me. <laughs> well, unfortunately, now that that is uh, immortalized, in the jingle, I can't ever reuse that line. Oh, so, no, no, no. no. Use, use it on radio hits. Like, use it elsewhere because <laughs> I, I can tell you that, I mean, it is chef's kiss good. Do we even, do we even, like, what team were we even talking about for that one? Do you know? It was eight win. I don't know. Someone, <laughs> someone, someone where eight wins was unfathomable. And I, I, yeah, I wonder if that was, I, I, uh, I mean, I don't know if, that, if we hit on that one. Am, am, am I, uh, am I looking at the wrong schedule? Is this 2017? Chip, please tell me if I'm wrong here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going in the South Division, starting at the top and working our way down. The defending Pac-12 South champions, the Utah Utes. How about that? The defending Pac-12 South champion, Utah Utes. Uh, they have the highest win total in the division. Once again, we are using some of these early numbers from the FanDuel Sportsbook in New Jersey. Utah set at nine. Tough number. Is it? 
Do, do are you comfortable over here? <laughs> I, I, man, I I am. Yeah, I'm kind of getting on this Utah train, dude. Sick. I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm not there with you, but I'm. I I love. I like to. I like to know that somebody is going to be dialed in to. Uh, I think so. I like to know that somebody's going to be dialed into those Utah home games because that's probably one of my favorite. One one of my favorite home environments when you're when you're looking at uh, a team like how many teams show up, especially Pac-12 teams show up to Salt Lake City just not wanting to play that football game, right? Like it's like a doctor's playing Utah at Utah is like a doctor's appointment. You just get this anxiety. You're going to get pricked. You're going to get hurt. You might get a little bruised. It's not going to be fun. You just hope you get out of there with a clean bill of health. And and the the home slate is let's see. They got Washington State at home. They got UCLA at home. It, it's not, it's actually actually it's it's not as as um, high profile as I thought it would be. The road games are at USC and at Washington. But it's just a I mean just top to bottom like it's just a pretty manageable schedule I right mean, non-conference is BYU Northern Illinois and Idaho State um, then they get the home games Washington State Arizona State Cal UCLA Colorado and it's just when you are I mean someone's at the top of the, the of the the Pac-12 food chain and I think Utah's at the top of the Pac-12 food chain and when you're I guess I'm going through this list and this counts for the, our 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 Pac-12 North picks the other day, and and we'll get to some of these other Pac-12 South ones. But the Pac-12 is a treacherous place when you're in the middle of the pack, right? Like oh, when absolutely. when every game is losable, the the Pac-12 can be a little scary when you're trying to pick win totals. But if 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 you are at the top of the pecking order, and you're avoiding Oregon, and you're avoiding who else? Stanford, and you know, then all, all of a sudden, this schedule looks pretty manageable, regardless of how it shakes out in home and away. So, where I ended up coming down with this Utah team is, it is, it is as Utah as any Utah team could possibly be. Like this is the most Utah of Utah teams, and the most Utah is a best Utah. Like the this is a team that is. They're bringing back all their defensive linemen, which, who were all really good last year. So it's a it's a defensive line dominant team. Are you ready for is, Zach Moss to have like thirty five carries a game? Is that you're what you're going Zach, for? And, and and not only that, but they they the last couple of years they've been flirting with this spread stuff, which that's that's not a Utah team, right? That's not Utah. Come on, let's get back to what we are. So, so they go and, and they hire Andy Ludwig from Vanderbilt, who's coached at San Diego State and Wisconsin and Utah before, and who is was he at Vanderbilt last year? Yes. So he was the play caller for Keyshawn Vaughn. Yes. Yeah. Let's go. And he and and yeah and he and he was the play caller for I want to say it was Melvin Gordon at uh, at Wisconsin. He was. I mean, he can. He can deliver on a physical, diverse run game, and and he's and and his reputation is just this sort of wizard who just not a lot of personality, just sits in the film room all day long and figures stuff out. Love it, and and that's pretty. That probably works. That probably jives pretty well with uh, with Kyle Whittingham. <laughs> yes. Personal <laughs> that's a personality fit if I've ever yeah. heard one. Yeah. I think he even said it when he hired him. He was like uh this guy this is he he fits he's a fit. He fits, you know, he, he I think he may have even said personality fit or something. Like it's just like these guys are just going to go in there and just be tough guys and watch film and coach ball. And uh I think so I just think when you when you look at how they're constructed with this really good defensive line, I think their secondary. I was surprised to see their secondary numbers last year weren't as good as I I envisioned they were. Like I think they were middle of the pack kind of nationally in terms of just sort of pass defense. But I like the names that are coming back and Julian Blackman and Javelin Guidry and Jalen J- Johnson. Who's I mean th- th- those are some good players and 
They got Manny Bowen coming in at linebacker. I mean, that's where they lost their their juice is at the linebacker position. But Manny Bowen would have been one of the best players. You know, he would have started at Penn State. Um, so all that plus Andy Ludwig, who I think is a good fit in offense. And I just see this team as being, I mean, the the way – the 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 the, archety- the prototype the archetype whatever it is about for for Utah football like this is the team that Kyle Whittingham goes to sleep dreaming about. All right, so nine feels like a good number. Barton says he's taking the over here. Eleven and one. <laughs> I was gonna move it up to nine and a half and see see where you would land on that. Oh no no no! You can move it up to ten. Where is yeah. he gonna land on that? Yeah. Oh heck yes! Nah, that's I'm it, too too rich for my blood. Uh, that's there is uh there's there's a Utah game on the road that they're gonna lose that they shouldn't. And there's at least I don't know, yeah. I'm I'm gonna go push to under just to for the purposes of debate here. But I love that. I love 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 that. Like so, what worries what worries you to 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 get you to lean under on nine? Uh, when I by the way, when I wrote this up for for CBS Sports, I did say push to over on my explanation. But I I'm starting to think that there is uh there's three teams, right? That are all going to be, in my opinion, like absolutely on the edge of like, will we make a bowl game and whether or not you make a bowl game has very, very, uh, you know, damning and impactful, uh, is very, very damning and impactful in terms of like, you know, what's next. And that would be Arizona, Arizona state and UCLA. Like all three of those are situations where, like they they are going to be in conference play in conference games knowing that all of these division games if they can get one of them it might be the difference between whether or not they make a bowl and whether or not they make a bowl is going to wildly change the conversation and the tone around Herm Edwards, Kevin Sumlin and Chip Kelly. So, if I'm if I'm looking at like all right, so where are they going to where where are those three teams going to be able to find some kind of victory? I think that Utah I think that Utah is one team that you gotta be like, all right, like yes, that they are the class of the conference. They are the team that I will pick to they're not the team I'll pick to win the division, but they are like right there, one of the top two teams when I do my order predicted order finish here in a little bit for CBS Sports on the expert picks. But I I think Utah probably could get beat by uh by Arizona, Arizona State or UCLA. Like it wouldn't be the the upset of the century, in my opinion, if they just drop a conference game. I agree with that. Yeah. This is... They can be on the top tier, but the top tier does not have enough distance from the, the basement for me to feel ultra confident. Like, in my head, Utah winning this division at 6-3 and three feels about right. So that's where the nine and three probably is a perfect. But that's number. but that's because that's how you envision Utah traditionally. Like that's who when Utah's good, they win it in six and three, and and that might be who this Utah team is. Um, and I and I grant like this Utah team is not. I don't have the confidence of this team to the point where I mean every single conference game I would even include Oregon State in that is losable. They're capable of losing it every one of them. But or at any single one of them, um, but it, it, when you where I'm at is when you look across the landscape of college football, and when you say, "All right, who's who? Whose year is it to to have a cycle up year?" When you've got quarterback, running back, and D line, that's a damn good combination in football. Exactly. Yeah. And I think they have, and I think their secondary has a chance to be really good. And they've got like the Britton Covey back kid at, at, at receiver who is just that little slot monster. Um, and they've got good young talent around in the receiving core otherwise. I mean, offensive line, they lost a couple of good players, but you get my point. So that's, that's where I'm coming from here is not necessarily saying, well, there's, you can, you can, blindly chalk up wins 
across the board, all these Pac-12 teams other than Washington. It's, it's more about, you know, this I, – I just think you this Utah team – Is going 11-1. and one. Is going 11-1. and one. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. That would be so awesome. Count them up! Arizona State win total set at 7.5. Um, both of us cashed on the win totals locks with Arizona State last year going over the four and a half right was that a win? i don't remember did i have arizona state i I, be, I believe i did and some of it was just a uh you know maybe an entertainment play you know sometimes you just want some skin in the game and i wanted some skin in the herm edwards college football experiment game well at seven and a half I think that's when we jump on the other side. I think this is a way too much of an overcorrection from what we saw in year one with Herm Edwards because he had Manny Wilkins, he had Nikhil Harry, he had uh, a team that was able to buy, and that's like, you know, this is good for Herm Edwards long term. He did have a team that was able to buy into the new staff and, and you know, went out there. They beat Michigan State. There were also some uh, some really head-scratching losses there for Arizona State as well. And so the combination of it all has me feeling like this is a, a bowl team, sure, but I'm going under the 7.5. Uh, I've got that more as like a 7-5, and 6-6 six and six type season here in year two for Herm. I, I have them at 7-5. and five. I think I think this is a, just a 7-5 and five team. Uh, and Herm Edwards may be a 7-5 and five coach. And... I guess, I mean, I'm not saying that he is sentenced to to a seven and five Arizona State career because of last year, but I just feel like this feels like a seven and five season, and 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 I will say though that this could be a foundational season that could I think springboard them beyond 2019 because what's encouraging here is you've got Jaden Daniels, the true freshman quarterback that's going to win this job, who is really talented and who might not be ready for Michigan State on the road, might not be ready for Cal and that secondary on the road. Um, and then there's a tough little stretch there with Washington State at Utah, at UCLA. So I look at this team and – I've got them um, three and four after October, and heading into November, I've I got them winning their last four, and I, that includes upsets over USC and Oregon, and and so I think this team starts to come of age. The quarterback starts to come of age. Eno Benjamin is one of the best running backs in the country, which is exciting to say because that kid from. Covering him in, in in high school is a super engaging, fun kid, and I also think defensively, with all the 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 young talent they played last year, this is I mean this is going to be kind of a sophomore loaded defense, and so again I, I sort of get this is more of an optimistic long term than a than a than an indifferent 2019 pick. It's just more about seven and five to maybe get to like a nine and three season in 2020. Mm, love it. That's like a, I don't know why he's on my mind a lot with, with that play, but isn't that the Luke fickle Cincinnati thing? Like come in year one, we're just playing a bunch of young guys, whole bunch of young guys. And then like now last year they get a little bit older, a little bit more mature. They have a little bit of a breakthrough season. And and now like after last season, I think Cincinnati only had six seniors on the roster and you just, yeah. then all of a sudden that same group, uh, you know, you're looking, you're looking pretty dangerous. So, uh, a unders for both of us, but a positive long-term projection for Barton. Count them up. up next. We've got the Arizona Wildcats, as we mentioned before, part of that trio where, you know, Arizona, Arizona state, UCLA, I don't, quite know like i feel like any one of them could beat anyone else in the division at any time but yet i feel no confidence that any one of these teams is going to be able to string together the kind of consistent football throughout 12 games where they're going to finish at the top of the standings the over under win total for arizona is at seven um 
we, strange schedule as it happens when you've got that Hawaii game in there. They're going to have three off weeks, and two of them are before the end of September. Do you think that having two off weeks in September is good or bad? Arizona does? Yeah. Not, not the schedule I'm looking at. I <laughs> <laughs> I've got them on a, I've got a bye week in September September 21st and November 9th. Ooh. Are they not playing week 0 anymore? Uh they're playing at Hawaii. Is that a 24th or a 31st? Uh, yeah, that's August 24th. Oh, so don't they get the 31st off? I'm counting that one. Oh, I got you. Uh, yeah, they do. So they have, but they have three bye weeks. Right. All right. My bad. Okay. So yes, they have three bye weeks. Two of them two early, early in the season. season. Um, but because they have another one on the back end, like I don't think it hurts them too much. Um, it's not like the USC schedule where you've got all of your games and then the right. bye week. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think that's necessarily a, a disadvantage. Like. I'll I'll say this about the Arizona deal is I, I uh, you know I I did I sort of made my picks before I looked at what the number was and so I in I was surprised to see Arizona's number after I made my picks because and you when had I was it looking, at five and seven right <laughs> right I've got them I have them at five and seven <laughs> uh, and the number is seven and it's like wh- what. What am I missing? I guess, I guess the seven number is a healthy Khalil Tate play, mm-hmm. year two of Kevin Sumlin play, and here comes the offense. And but I was very, I was just very uh, underwhelmed. I think everyone was. How could you not be with even a, even though Khalil Tate was was injured, and even before Khalil Tate was hobbled. Maybe he had some lingering injuries going into the season that I'm forgetting or that I didn't know about. But even before he got banged up, they weren't doing the Khalil Tate stuff. They were just they were trying to turn him into something else. And I don't I just don't know that he is something else. I think he's like played his strengths. Um, and so I don't have necessarily this faith that that that's gonna that's gonna just be you know breakthrough defensively they're a little bit similar to Arizona State in terms of their their the guys they had them bounty guys they got coming back and kind of where they were at but I think Arizona State's players they had more young guys than Arizona and so I have a little more faith that those young guys take a bigger leap than Arizona's middle sort of sophomores and junior types um and I just, I'm a little bit, I think the luster is off like Noel Mazzoni and the Kevin Sumlin team mm-hmm. offensively. Like I just know, I'm no longer thinking of like that those guys are the offensive gurus in college football that maybe they were when they were at Texas, that we thought they were when they were at Texas A&M. They could prove me wrong, but I didn't see it last year. So I have a hard time getting to, to six or seven wins, especially when you just have to find losses somewhere in the conference. Do you remember the Arizona state territorial cup rivalry game. So uh, at one point, middle of the season, Tate finally just takes a game off to rest his ankle. And after that week off, he comes back and in the last like three, four games of the season, I think things were a little bit better. They go into the territorial cup. All they need is a win to be bowl eligible. I think Arizona state was already bowl eligible with six wins at the time. And, uh, Arizona had multiple chances to potentially win that game. Uh, an interception led to a field goal. Then a lost fumble on a hand on a botched handoff led to an Arizona State touchdown. Ten points off turnovers late. Arizona State wins that game. You know, hello, Herm gets to celebrate, and <laughs> Arizona is not bowling. And like the the sort of collapse right there, and just the way the the bottom fell out, just felt so. Uh, it, it left a, a bad taste in my mouth about the just sort of, I don't know, the, I'm, that's that's a big game to have a poor finish. How about that? There was a lot on the line, both in terms of the rivalry and in terms of your postseason, and to have a, a poor finish 
with poor execution was something that carried with me in a way I, I probably should let it go, but uh, I have not at this time. But yes, the bet on Arizona and my number is under. I think Arizona could be a bowl team this year, but I'm not. You're not going to hear me. You're not going to hear me thinking that they're going to win eight. That's for sure. But it's basically yeah. saying Khalil Tate is fully healthy and he has a better understanding of the offense. I, I'm. I say this not in jest. I say this not as like a an, a uh, sarcastic comment. I would like to hear the Arizona State's going to go eight and four or nine and three this year argument. Like I'm curious. Like what's is it? Ju- is it just that? Is it just oh man, we we saw a fifty percent Khalil Tay last year. Wait till they unleash the beast this year. Uh, it, this is this is going to be a different team. I, I just. For for them, for a five and seven team in a conference that I mean everybody else is getting better too. I mean that they they're going to improve two games or three games to hit the over. I don't. I just don't understand the number. Maybe maybe I'd get it more if the number is like six and a half, and then you can bet them to go seven and five, and then okay. But you got to bet them to go eight and four to win this bet, or eight and three, uh, eight and four. And I just I would like to hear that the 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 argument for them going eight and four i would be curious what how that looks what that looks like blog post on arizona's sb nation page uh arizona desert swarm doubt headline doubt khalil tate at your own peril there it is okay (laughs) all right so it's just the khalil it's khalil tate just khalil tate Tate. it was the (laughs) october heisman winner of 2017 Right, right. <laughs> that October Heisman right. has carried over, and and look, for a month there was no one in college football who's more explosive and exciting than Khalil Tate. He's got it in him. We know that. Count them up. Finally, we got uh, not finally. We have more teams to go, but it is uh, wild that we would work ourselves through this point going down in the Pac-12 South before we finally land at USC. USC's win total here set at six and a half. Uh, man, like there's, there's a lot of different ways to cut this. Uh, let's start first with your, just your analysis and your pick on the Trojans at six and a half. And then we'll get into sort of, you know, what it means. And if seven wins would even be enough for uh, Clay Helton. I mean, gosh, what a, what a tough one. What a disrespectful win total. This, this, USC is another one of my siren calls to just I, I know I know how talented they are. I know how fast and strong and athletic these guys can be and and yet they USC's burned me too many times. I picked those guys in the Dagum playoffs last year. Can you believe that nonsense? I mean, they they don't deserve they they don't deserve thirty seconds of me breaking them down after what they did to me last year. Uh, but here I am. Hell I'm, hath I'm, no fury like a lover scorned. <laughs> I I'm gonna I mean I'm gonna take the under this year. I'm not gonna do it again. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna fall for it again. And and where where I am at, like here. When you look at their schedule, first of all, I think it's a very real possibility that Clay Helton is fired by homecoming, which is October 19th. I think they could start two and four. They got Fresno State, Stanford, at BYU and BYU's schedule early season is is brutal, and this is this is one BYU could could like they got to win one of those, and this is one BYU could nab at home. That's a team that that started playing pretty well at the end of the season last year, um, and they found a quarterback that they they're doing some some good things with. Like that's a people are going to chalk that up as a win, and maybe it will be, but I think that's a losable game. Then they got. Uh, then they got Utah, eleven and one Utah. Then they go to Washington by week. Then they go to Notre Dame. So 
they'll be favored in three of those games probably, I guess, if we're going to say they're favored against Stanford. Uh, and I assume they're favored against Fresno State. But that's a pretty tough opening week game to begin with. So I think Clay Helton, with the hot seat that he's on heading into the season, and we can get into sort of what this USC team is made of or like the the what what the ingredients and the actual parts are. But two and four to open the season is very realistic. So here's how I've, I've got it. Wasn't Lane Kiffin fired after Arizona State? Like it was a loss to Arizona State. I I think that uh, I think that Clay Helton will be kept on through the Oregon home game on November second. I think that. But that, what's their record at that point? Oh uh, man, I mean, you get because you, you got to give up. Basically, I'm thinking about it now from that that idea where if if you fire Clay Helton, then all of a sudden one of your biggest home games that, you know, Oregon coming on November 2nd, it just like national TV might already be locked into it just because of the draw. And then all of a sudden it's just going to look like a bad stadium or on the flip side, it's a massive game. No one shows up and the team performs poorly. Like I, I almost see that as a swing game because you're absolute look, Utah, Washington, Notre Dame, loss, loss, loss. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm, I'm with you. So, I mean, this and, – and ultimately, though, um, a USC – like, yes, we are marking those as, as big L's for USC. But this, the, the reality is also that Graham Harrell is coming in with an air raid offense with the most talented group of offensive pieces – I don't want to overstate this, but has there ever been a? I mean, I, I, I guess what we're calling are we calling Lincoln Riley stuff air raid? I yeah. feel like that's a, okay. So then he so so he has he's had pretty talented offenses, but I mean, if from the Mike Leach, well, Lincoln Riley's in the Mike Leach tree, but this is a really talented group. This is a this is one of the most talented wide receiver groups in the nation. You could argue it's a it's a top three or four wide receiver group. Um, and they've got a quarterback that is well-suited for this system. They've got an offensive line that has been bad in the past but will be improved because they're, they're, they're simplifying it for them, and they're not asking them to do as much as they used to. And so, and there's still a bunch of five-stars on their defensive line and a, a few five, and a five-star in their linebacking core. And a five-star in their secondary. And so there is still a, a, a universe where USC can maybe find a little mojo and Graham Harrell comes in and gives them a, a, a jolt offensively where they can beat some of these Utah, Washington, and Notre Dame teams. I'm counting those as L's, but certainly it's possible that they, that they turn things around. I just don't necessarily have faith that Clay Helton is going to change the grit in that locker room in one one off season. All right, I'm going to go over, and this will be the I think I think seven and five, eight and because I already told you LLL the way I, that I uh, added up. I think that they can beat uh, Stanford at home. I think they can beat uh, USC. Then here's the way I'm sort of playing it out in my head. BYU, you say. Yes, yes, yes. BYU, Fresno State, Stanford. I think that those could all be wins. Then all of a sudden, uh, you're three and three. Things are getting panicky. I'm not calling it, but I see a scenario. Because isn't whenever you've got fans who are trying to move on from a coach, isn't the thing that they love slash hate the most is when the coach has the late season surge? Yeah. Yeah. I All yeah. six of those games to close the season are winnable. All 12 games on the schedule are winnable. Fair, 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 fair. But I'm thinking like Arizona at home, Colorado on the road, Oregon at home. You got to go to Arizona State, but then Cal, UCLA. Like what if hot seat talk is going crazy and then everything clicks with Graham Harrell and JT Daniels, USC runs off six straight wins, finishes nine and three, and then all of a sudden you can't fire Clay Helton. No matter how much you want Urban Meyer, you can't fire Clay Helton. 
Yeah. You can't fire nine and three Clay Helton. What what record does Clay Helton get fired? Seven and five. They can go over this number and he could still get fired. So let's just say they go three and three. So then a seven and five would entail uh, only winning two of their last, whatever that is, six. So that, yes, that would end on a two and four run. No, a four and that two would, run. Seven and five starts. I'm sorry, you're right. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. Bad math. Yeah. A four, and, a four and two run. So, yeah, I mean, that's just very, like, that's just very, uh, Likely. Very mediocre. <laughs> yes. Very boring. Is do you think he's back next year? I I do not. I mean, because I'm picking the under. And so if they're six and six or 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 less, there he's he's he there's no excuse. He can't he's not back. Um so in a way, I mean, this is just sort of it's either of uh a vote of a no vote or a yes vote on Clay Helton in terms of the the win total. I mean, if they're, I guess if they're seven and five, he still probably gets, he probably didn't last. But eight and four, I don't know. I suspect he probably sticks around. Do you? Yes. Yeah. What if what if they promote Graham Harrell? The exact thing that we thought was going to happen with Cliff Kingsbury, just Junior Cliff. Right. Right. <laughs> I mean, if the yeah. But like the thing, if they, if if for Graham Harrell to get promoted, the offense would have to be a, a thing of beauty. And if the offense is a thing of beauty, they probably are a pretty good team. It's mm. like this weird place where it's hard to figure out how this is going to play out. The the one real kind of question mark I have with this team, and I should say the offensive line, but I just I kind of think the offensive system is kind of going to take care of that. Um, but secondary, they just, they're talented with the ones, but they just don't seem like they're very deep. Like, and they were already like a mash unit in the spring anyways, in the secondary. So a couple of injuries to the back end, that could be a real Achilles heel for this team. Um, so I just think there's, there are still definitely some pressure points on this roster because of all the transfers they've had. Um, and because of their limited development that we've seen in that program. Mm-hmm. But, man, uh, this is going to be an interesting year for the Trojans. How many games are going to win this fall? UCLA's win total set at five and a half. And, uh, man, like the, the thing that makes this really, really tough, because I, I mentioned the fact that UCLA is a team where, at least in division play, like I'm not going to totally write them off of almost any game, but I'll tell you where I am throwing the L's out for Chip Kelly and UCLA team. It is in the non-conference where they've got to go uh, to Cincinnati. They play San Diego State and Oklahoma. I mean, that could be 0-3 in non-con right there, and then all of a sudden you're tasked in the Pac-12 South where – you know, you you almost like start at 500 as a starting point, and then you're either going to go up or down a couple games. So that's a very, very small margin for error unless they're able to really surprise some people and get it done uh, in the non-con. No, I agree. And I struggled sort of as uh, digging into the UCLA schedule. I definitely struggled in what to do with those non-conference games. I got the L, an easy L against Oklahoma. I don't have the stones to make that pick yet. Um, but I mean, UCLA, it's not as if Cincinnati blew them out last year. I mean, that was a close game that Cincinnati won in the first game of the Chip Kelly era in the first game to try to install this new system. Uh, the first game of a wake up call and what was going to be a rough year. And now you're in year two. And I, while Luke Fickle is clearly one of the best coaches in the group of five, if not the country, and he's going to have his guys ready, and that will be a – I mean, that's that's a Super Bowl type of setting in terms of their opportunity on a Thursday night to knock off a, a, a blue blood at home. Sure. But, I mean, UCLA's got 19 starters back. They got their quarterback back. 
who wasn't even the starter this time last year. They've got a a full year of getting settled and and creating a a better culture and running off some of the guys that cared more about non-football stuff and I think so not to dwell too much on like the Cincinnati game but I, I went ahead and marked them up with wins against Cincinnati and San Diego State Woo. and fully fully aware that they could lose one or both of those um and then I just sort of I just sort of putzed around and like gave them some wins and losses here. Like I got them winning, I got them losing to Arizona and Washington State. I got them losing to Stanford. I got them beating Arizona State. I got them beating USC, beating Cal, losing to Utah. So I ended up having them six and six. <sighs> but like, I could see them getting up to. Is that high? Yeah. Or low? I, I'm I'm under. Like I just I I did not feel comfortable being like, oh yeah, I've got them beating USC and Cal. I I don't feel comfortable with that at all. No, those are my those are my um like USC is obviously an upset. Cal, that's the last last game of the season. At at that point, I'm not convinced Cal will have have gotten an offense yet, and I am convinced UCLA will be better than what they were week one and certainly what they were week 12 of last year. If Dorian Thompson Robinson and Joshua Kelly are both healthy for an entire season, I expect that to be continued linear trajectory of production and dominance. Agreed. So what's your, so what's your holdup? I mean, I'm, I just said if, if they're both going to continue to be like, I, like, so you're not convinced they'll continue to be healthy. Well, I'm just, I'm not as uh I'm not betting against their health necessarily. I just, I, I don't find enough. I don't, I don't find enough of a, an edge or an advantage or a feel for me to, to jump on that side of enough conference games. And again, you know, got, you've got the, you've got the Cincinnati, the, the Cincinnati and the San Diego state. And I've got both those as losses. Yeah. And I've also got them losing to Colorado and Arizona. So, I mean, it's not like I've got them just sort of clicking on all cylinders from the, from the go, it's going to be some ups and some downs. But what I am more confident with generally, as opposed to sort of any game by game prediction, I'm just, I, I do still have confidence in Chip Kelly to see significant progression in this team. And it's, and I didn't expect them to have a good team last year. They, that was a, the roster was a bit of a mess. And, Last year they did get significantly better over the course of the season. I mean, they beat USC. They lost to Stanford by a touchdown. Lost to Arizona State by a field goal. Um, they, I mean, the the offense got significantly more competent as the year progressed. The defense, I think, the defense, and I think the offensive line will be better. And that was one of the big problems. They've they've sort of moved some pieces around. They've got uh, a true freshman coming in that I think is a stud in Sean Ryan. Um, you know, Boss Tagaloa was I think last year was year one for him moving from defensive line at center. Like there's just I think there's some settling that's going to take place this year. So it so my pick on the over is less about. Oh, they're going to win this game. They're going to lose that game. They're going to win this. They'll lose that. It's more about this is where the trajectory is taking us. I don't think that Chip Kelly has a a, a team that misses a bowl in year two. Mm. Good for you. I am not as confident in uh, in I am not as confident in this stage of the of Chip Kelly's career. I believe in him as a football coach, and I believe that there's probably going to be another stop after UCLA, maybe in college, maybe in the pros, who knows, but I would not be surprised if it's another five and seven year. Give me lay under. How many games are going to win this fall? Colorado wraps up our PAC 12 South win totals. And their number is set at four and a half. It's uh, year one for Mel Tucker. And you know, obviously by four and a half, we don't have a whole lot of, uh, we don't have very, very high expectations for the buffs here in year one, but Barton, I don't know where you're sitting on Colorado. You know, 
as as I have gone under on Arizona, as I've gone under on Arizona State, and as I've gone under on UCLA, part of the competitive balance of my math is the fact that I've got Colorado over, and I would not be surprised if Colorado is a bowl team. Some of that is... Uh, like Mel Tucker's going to be working with far, far, far different loads of talent than what he had at Alabama and George on the defensive side, but I'm still giving him uh, points, credit, and expectations for the defensive side of the ball. But this is still an offense that has Steven Montez and LaVisca Chenault, and those are two legit, experienced, game-breaking talents. And so when I put those two pieces together, I've, I just see uh, a couple of those toss-up games, particularly in the – within the conference schedule where I'm like, you know what? Like, like I, I think that if, how about this? If Colorado can beat Colorado state and air force, I think they're going bowling. I mean, that's, I feel good about them beating Colorado state and air force. I don't feel good about them beating much else on their schedule, but I, I don't, I mean, I don't necessarily hate, I don't disagree. I mean, I do disagree. I have them under, right. But I don't, I think that there's a path to over, because of LaVisca Chenault. I mean, remember, like, what, they were 5-0 and and then he got hurt. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. And then they finished 5-7. and seven. Um, Steven Montez is, I think, legitimately one of the better quarterbacks in the Pac-12. Uh, Katie Nixon is a really nice compliment to LaVisca Chenault as a playmaker on offense. Um, I just... A, somebody's got to lose. Right, right. This is where we're getting to, right? Where it's like if you've <laughs> if you've bought stock in Arizona, Arizona State, or UCLA, Colorado's got to be the one to take the L for you. Right, and and B, as much I do think, I, I mean, I, I like Mel Tucker. I like the hire. His his offensive coordinator, though, I don't. I, I mean, Jay Johnson, last time last. Offensive coordinator job he had was at Minnesota for a year in 2016. He was uh, – I can't remember where he was before that. He was like a couple years at like a – it wasn't Utah State, but it was like a Utah State type of gig or something. And and I don't – there's nothing that I've seen that like gives, inspires confidence in sort of – what that offense is going to be able to produce in in a in a conference where they're going to be one of the least talented teams. Yes, they have two singular really talented players, but in terms of one through eleven, they're not going to be more talented than most of the teams they play. Anyone like anyone in the division? Uh, I'm, I'm looking right now at their. I mean, they offensively maybe they're. Uh, I don't know that they're talent more talented than anyone in 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 conference that they play offensively. Mm. So do you have it? So then do you have like an offensive system that's gonna help you compensate for that the talent discrep- discrepancy, or is this a, a team that's just gonna sort of build it slow and the right way and? kind of get stronger and tougher and more disciplined and because that takes time and you can win that way too, but that takes, that's not usually an overnight deal. Um, so that's part of my lack of confidence. Uh, so I got the under, I got them beating Colorado state air force, UCLA and Arizona. Um, and I think they probably have a pretty like respectable season, but I just, I don't know that I've got, I got, I got someone's got to take the, some, someone's got to lose. Uh, they are, I've got them taking a loss in Nebraska. And so like, you're almost hoping that you get that Nebraska four and eight, which is a four and eight with hope. Now it's not going to be a four and eight necessarily where they bring back their quarterback. Cause Steven Montez has got to be a junior or senior by this point. Uh, um, because he was coming in when Sifo Lufau got knocked out. Right. Yeah. yeah I mean, we, Steven yeah. Montez We've has been, been around. around to Steven Montez for a while. <laughs> Steven Montez has been around since the Spruce Goose. Nelson Spruce was out there. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, all right. So Jay Johnson was, so he comes with Mel after being quality control the last two seasons at Georgia. Right. Hmm. Okay. 
Which, I mean, and that tells you a little bit of what they're going to want to do. And, and George, but like Georgia's just been pulverizing people. I mean, they just, they, they don't, get bigger, they, stronger guys. Yeah. And they beat them up. And you're not going to have bigger, stronger guys. You're not going to be able to beat up whoever's in front of you. That he may have a whole lot of, uh, you know, in his briefcase that he's ready to, that he's, he's instituting and installing right now. I'm just saying, based on what I know, what we've seen, like all we have to go on, I'm, and I haven't done the deep dive on sort of what his offensive background is. I'm just saying, if it's if it's a Georgia game plan, then that's more of a long play than a than an overnight deal. We're going to be back with another pair of win totals shows for you next week. Uh, I will be at ACC football kickoff around the middle of the week. First show will drop on Tuesday. You can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Barton, thank you very much. Deserve.